our lives are just more meaningful and they feel more meaningful when they're filled with stories. But you need a conscious effort to find and keep those stories. Pretty much everything that happens in our lives either becomes a story or gets forgotten. Hello and welcome to Beyond Networking, the show where we help you build a sustainable career in an unpredictable world with the power of human connection. I'm your host, Brian Miller, and today's guest is Francisco Mafuz. Do you want to become more interesting than Netflix? Francisco is a storytelling expert and one of my favorite professional friends. We met a couple of years ago when he invited me to be one of his first guests on his podcast, Story Powers, of which I am also, I think, the first repeat guest. And it only seemed right that after hours of talking about my work on his show, he should have a chance to talk about his work on mine. And let me tell you, this is one of the most practical episodes I have hosted in many seasons and also a heck of a lot of fun. We discussed the difference between motivational speaking and being a content matter expert, what a story really is and why you should be telling them in business, and where to find those stories to tell. And then we did a deep dive on story structure, the different types and when they work or don't. And of course, Francisco shares his story of a chance encounter with lasting impact. Plus, he gives a very practical piece of advice to young professionals trying to make it in this increasingly chaotic and isolated world. Head to the show notes for all the ways to connect with Francisco, including his book, his storytelling course, and direct links to my episodes on his podcast, Story Powers. And now, please enjoy this outrageous conversation with my friend, Francisco Mafuz. All right, Francisco, thank you so much for being here. I'm like genuinely excited to talk to you again. Me too, man. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one. Yeah. And, and I, when I say again, you and I have spoken so much, both on the record, off the record, publicly, privately. In fact, we've spent two entire hours with me on your podcast. So it's about time we hear more, more of your story. Uh, but before we get into anything, what do you what's what's on your plate right now? What are you working on this week? So this week, I've started putting my first thoughts in order for something I've been invited to do in, in a couple of months' time, which is not something I do pretty much ever, which is more of a motivational type of speech. And, and I, you know, they invited me and I said, but you know, I'm like the storytelling guy, right? I don't, you know, it's not, it's not my bag. And they said, yeah, but, you know, we wanted something different and we were wondering if you could think of, of some way to talk about stories and storytelling that would be would be motivational and and as soon as they said that i said actually i think i might just have the thing so i'm trying trying to order my thoughts about the different practices that i do on a daily basis to do with capturing stories from my own life and and the impact that that has had in me and why i think everybody should do something along those lines so that's what's been on my mind this week that's cool so what what do you what are you finding is the major difference for you with mo like motivational means so many different things to different people. And there's a lot of people like me who've worked very hard to get away from being a motivational speaker, to be a content matter expert. 
that happens to be motivational or inspirational. For you, you're going the other way. You've always been a content mentor expert, running mostly workshops and things like that, where you're doing skills transfer. And and so now you're trying to give a motivational. What are you finding the most challenging or the most different? I think it's a, it's a very different... It's not a very different goal necessarily because when when I do a keynote, I'm very aware that people are not going to walk away from my keynote with they're not going to walk away with with the tech, enough technique to start storytelling in their in their bit, the professional life. You know, they uh, hopefully they have the taste for it. They realize why it's important and why it's needed. They they have some ideas about where they can use it, uh, the simplest ways I can give them of how to use it, but I'm not really giving them almost anything when it comes to you know how to craft a story, how to tell an effective story, because that's just you know most keynotes don't give themselves to that much uh, to that level of detail and 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 content really. I think it's you know I think you had Thames and. Thames and Webster on the podcast recently. I, I had yeah. her a while back. I love her. And she will talk about often that it's one thing. You know, it's one thing. Have you have you changed their minds about one thing? Have you given them one different way of seeing a problem that they had and then told them that's actually a different problem you had? You think you have this problem, but there's a deeper problem. <laughs> and in my case, it's it's for them to realize that the problem with their communication is that it's it's in, they're not telling enough stories, they're not connecting with people emotionally. So I am trying to inspire them that there is a better way to communicate. Um, so there isn't an element of that in my normal keynote, but the brief in this case was to do with the, the sort of crappy two years that a lot of people have had uh, with COVID and all, all the things that we haven't been able to do. And this will be a live conference, which you know is, I think is the first time they're doing this in a couple of years. So they just want a more positive note to say, you know, we know life has been difficult, but, but here's a way to look at it going mm-hmm. forward that is going to be more positive. But they didn't want just some someone going there and rah, rah, rah. It's all beautiful. Right. Life is great. So, Right. And that's kind of the stereotypical motivational speaker, which I think is something of a dying breed. The I think the Tony Robbins inspired generations of motivational speakers, I think, are mostly on their way out. You see it a little bit in youth uh, speaking, high schools, middle schools, a little bit in college still. The rah, rah, go get them. You can do it. Uh, but I, I think most people want to hear something tangible now that happens to be inspirational. So I, I get that. And by the way, it's so interesting that Tamsin said that she's she's wonderful. It's 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 fun to talk to her. Um, let's take a step back, though, because we're talking about storytelling. You're talking about storytelling. And this, unlike your podcast, is not a storytelling focused podcast. So my audience may not be really familiar with what you and I mean when we say story or storytelling. So can we start with something really dumb? Like, to you, what is a story? A story is a real-life example that makes a point. That's it. The way most people communicate is, is, you know, I ask you, Brian, how did, does that work? And you give me a whole bunch of information. You give me your opinions. You give me facts. And then I go, um, I'm not sure I get it, Brian. Can, can you give me an example? And then you share an example, which often is going to be a story. Oh, you know, I was just working with this client two weeks ago and blah, blah, blah. And then I get it. So at its most basic, storytelling is leading with the example 
And if people still don't get it, you can then supplement that with information, facts, anything else you want. So at its most basic, that's that's what I mean by storytelling. Mm. That's great. A real life example that makes a point. So in that way, the way that you you conceive of storytelling, it's not exactly or a story. It's not exactly the same as when we talk about a story in a book or a movie or something like that. Like what's what's the difference for people when they're thinking about a a movie story versus a story in business the way you're talking about? Stories can be many things. And if we if we take it out of the, the, the more business professional context that, that I was using here, then then stories are too broad to define. Mm-hmm. The the main difference is that in a professional context, there is a reason why you're using stories. And the reason why you're using them is because they make it easier for people to to understand what you're saying, to remember it later and potentially repeat it. And I would argue most importantly of all, they they make it easier for people to care. And those are not things you get out of facts. Those are not things you normally get out of data. So that point of what you're trying to do with the story is absolutely essential. You don't need a point when you're telling a story outside of, of the professional environment. You can watch right. a Netflix show because you enjoy it. The whole point is just entertainment. You don't need to necessarily learn anything from it. There doesn't need to be a lesson. But you wouldn't do that professionally. You can do that if you are a stand-up comedian, if you're a storyteller. But in business, it's it's an effective way of communicating. But for that, it needs to have very clear purpose. Otherwise, it's just, you know, <laughs> otherwise you're just entertaining people at best. And at worst, yeah. faffing around and, and wasting the time. When you said it doesn't have to have a point outside of business, like in normal life or conversations or Netflix or whatever, I, for a second, I was going to disagree with you until you said it can be merely entertainment. I was like, okay, right. But that's the point of it in that case, right? The point is entertainment. And that's interesting because as we were talking about keynote speaking and things, and I use a little bit of magic in there because of my background in magic. And I always, some sometimes, rarely these days, but back when I first made the transition from magic to, spe- to speaking, people would say to me, we want you to come speak. We want to make sure it's not just going to be a magic show though. And, and I remember having to say to people, the magic that's going to be in this speech is one, it's going to be very little of it, five minutes of the hour and spread out throughout it. And two, every piece of magic I do is going to be there to serve the point I'm making to help the audience remember something or to help a concept stick where it's interesting because then I occasionally got magicians who were mad at me because I would say it's not going to be merely entertainment. They're like, well, are you saying what we do isn't good enough? I'm like, no, I'm saying what, when you're a magician. Merely entertainment is the point. But the problem is people can be merely entertained by a cat video on TikTok also, right? That when we're in a business context, there needs to be uh, a very clear reason. It seems that that's one of the biggest places stories go wrong in business, though, isn't it? When somebody tells a story because they've heard you're supposed to tell a story, but it's not attached to the point in any meaningful way. Do you see that? Yes, exactly. You know, in <laughs> what you just described, you do is, you know, key- keynote magic is is a magical example that makes a point. It, it's the yeah. same thing. And and what I think a lot of people do when they, when they, first they don't get, they have this highfalutin idea of what a story is, and they don't think of it as just something that happened. So they think, oh, I need to talk about something historical. I need Mm -hmm. to talk about some big odyssey that has happened in my life or in someone's life. It's like, no, 
you know, I, I, and I've used this example recently, is if you're there to do a presentation about some major problem in the factory that your department has just found out about, the story can just be as simple as saying, um, once every quarter, I do a tour around the factories and it's one of the most boring weeks of my working life because there's there's never anything to see. Though Those things work like clockwork. But then last week, I went to this factory in Chicago and there was something I'd never seen before. There you go. You know, you're telling a story within maybe a minute you're going to get out of that story and introduce the problem that you're there to talk about. And you say, and now that is happening in every single one of our factories. And this is what we need to do about it. So you just used it to set context in a way that is, one, a lot more engaging and interesting than just the facts. Um, but also you've, you've painted the picture. You've made people experience it with you. And attention is is one of the most expensive commodities out there at the moment, particularly in presentations which tend to be boring, which people assume are going to be boring. So if you find that more interesting way of, of getting into a subject, be it storytelling or magic, and that buys you an extra minute, that is, that is worth a lot. And, and for the people listening that are still you know, not convinced that story is worth doing in business because there are still I think less people than there used to be thanks to some of the bigger names in storytelling Kendra Hall and people like that have really pushed it to the forefront and and, and a billion others that hers was the first that came to mind has she been on your show by the way uh, no, and it uh, it hasn't. I haven't been, been able to lock her down either. <laughs> it hasn't been for lack of trying. I I, I I thought I had gotten her because she shared a story about skiing, and I had two great stories about skiing. Include in one of them includes me wearing an outfit that I swear it looks like it was something um, George Michael would have worn and i share both stories with her she replied she la laughed she loved the stories and whatever and and i i just dropped a hint about the podcast and and and, and they never heard back and i've tried yeah. another once or twice i had interactions with her but um but she's super busy now she's yeah yeah so so it will too, happen too fame too famous for me and you uh for those listening Kendra <laughs> was, Hall, says Hall. the guy sorry says the guy who had seth golden and carl fussman on his podcast <laughs> she's not she's not seth golden famous i don't know if she's carl fussman famous i think she's just busy we're all busy uh yeah. no she's her team was really 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 lovely when they responded to me and uh but you know just just one of those too busy right now oh by the way Kendra Hall, for those listening, she wrote a book called Stories That Stick a couple of years ago. It's one of the best books on storytelling, at least uh, as far as I'm concerned. I know she has a new book out. Haven't read it, so can't endorse it. I'm sure it's lovely. Um, anyway, the reason I brought uh, brought her up when we were talking about uh, storytelling is is I think that people people not everybody is convinced that story is worth telling in business, they think they're going to be wasting the audience's time. That's not what people are here for. We got to get down to the, you know, we got to get down to business. Time is of the essence. But think about every politician you've ever seen. They don't say 28% of young women in the Midwest have X, Y, and Z. They say, I was recently in North Dakota and I met this lovely young woman, Maria, right? That's how they start that. They don't give you the stats. They start with the personal and we all know when politicians do it, it's kind of crap and they're all making stuff up and like whatever. We we get the politicians are doing that, but the stories work anyway. And that's what's fascinating is that knowing the politicians are full of crap doesn't stop the stories from working. And that's the power of a story. Um, I got to ask you, though, what do you I mean, 
obviously you love storytelling. I love storytelling. But what do you love about storytelling? Why, why of all the things you could have chosen to dedicate your life to, why story? There's, there's I think, too many, too many answers to, to that question. But the one that I've been, I've had in my head recently because of, of that, that new keynote that I'm trying to put together that I mentioned to you, the motivational one, is that pretty much everything that happens in our lives either becomes a story or gets forgotten. Now, my wife is obsessed with making these photo albums, like the old-school photo album, the physical one. And I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and so each at the end of each year, they get a new album, uh, one, a new photo album. And, and I'm, I'm looking through it, and, and I go, oh, this is, uh, this is where we, what we did that year. You know, this is this is where we travel. These are the people we've seen. This because I can't remember. You know, I, I don't remember what happened four years ago. Where did I spend my holidays? I don't remember the people I've seen. I don't remember anywhere I traveled. I mean, back in the days that <laughs> there was the answer to that question wasn't just from the bathroom to the kitchen and back to the bathroom <laughs> to the bathroom. But but we just don't remember our lives a great deal. And if you ask most people what has been going on with them, they will have a professional answer to it. But if they haven't had children recently, as, as you and I have had, it's much of a muchness. You know, what, what mm. happened personally in your life in the last three years before you had a kid? You might not be able to answer that. You've been with the same person, lots of stuff going on at work, but your life has been kind of the same, right, in your head. We talk about, my wife and I talk about that all the time, ever since having a kid. We, we, we go, what the hell did we do all day before we had a kid? What were we doing with all that fun, time? Fun, Brian. You had fun. That's what you did. You had fun. You watched a lot of TV. You slept late. You, you went for, you know, spontaneous pizza. This is what you did, so Brian. Funny. So funny. I miss video games. Um, anyway. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. So, so uh, it's beautiful so, what you said. Yeah, So So that, so... If it doesn't become a, f a photo that you can go back to fairly easily, it gets forgotten. And if it doesn't become a story, it definitely gets forgotten. So one of the things that I've experienced by, by for the last two years, being someone who puts out stories in video form or in text form on social media on a weekly basis, is that now my life has all these things that happened that I would have 100% forgotten. I, I did this with my wife Yesterday, yesterday was our anniversary, and I just said, "Listen, I was going through my 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 list, my my, my daily story list, and 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 stuff that happened three weeks before." It's like, "Do you remember this thing?" She's like, "Oh, that was really funny." I was like, "I had completely forgotten about it already three weeks ago. I had completely forgotten about it." So, if I'm among many other things, but our lives are just more meaningful, and they feel more meaningful when they're filled with stories. But you need a conscious effort to find and keep those stories. Let's talk about that, the, the conscious effort to find and keep those stories. I, it's interesting. I hear you. Obviously, I listen to your podcast, and I don't just listen to it because we're – well, I started listening to it because we were friends. But I, I have found it is literally in my weekly rotation with all the other top podcasts that I've always listened to. I really, really enjoy it. Um, and a little and bit I, later and – I, And I thank you. I appreciate all my seven listeners deeply. <laughs> Well, on behalf of the other six, uh, it's really wonderful. Uh, <laughs> a little bit later, there's something you, you there's a, a, a refrain, something that comes up in almost every episode that I disagree with vehemently every time you say it. We're going to bring that up later. Okay. Uh, but 
because I want to have a, a public fight with you about it. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you, I it occurs to me a lot when you talk about the kinds of clients you work with that you and I work almost exclusively with the opposite type of client when it comes to story, which is you tend to work with people in business who need to tell stories in business for presentations, for boardrooms, maybe for some speaking engagements, but a lot of very business business focused. And I work mostly with TED TEDx speakers and um, and leaders who need to give TEDx like talks, things like that. So you often talk about the fact that your clients typically don't even know where to start. They think, well, I don't have a story or I don't have any stories or I don't I, I wouldn't know where to find a story where I have the opposite problem. Almost everyone who comes to me has four million stories and they don't know which one to tell in one minute on a TEDx application or which one to hang their TEDx talk off of. So we have a very different sort of client problem that we're solving from your end. How do you get people to start finding those stories? Uh, where would people listening, you know, right now, where would where would they start finding stories to tell? There's a few different approaches. So the one that I find works best, and it's the one I do on workshops, is something called, uh, what well, I call it, first, last, worst, best. I didn't invent it. Other nobody knows who invented this, but it works beautifully. You write as many prompts as you want and you can use things that are professional like job boss project or you can pick things that are personal like kiss car trip accident whatever you know whatever comes to mind and you give this this pe people this direction so, you know first last first best write that on the top and then write all these seven words or ten words on the left and now just write down whatever comes to mind and everybody has a story about um their first kiss or their worst kiss and their first job and the worst job. And within 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, most people can write down maybe 10 different things that if they really wanted to, they could turn into a story. And I usually make them. I say, okay, now pick one. I'm going to give you five minutes. Just think it through a bit. And then you're going to come up here and tell it. And very often, those are great stories. They're funny. I mean, the, 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 the worst kiss and worst job are, are favorites. Those are almost always a guarantee. <laughs> so, you know, the, the people come up there and they tell it and, and everybody else has fun. And, and if this is in a training where they had done some type of presenting before, I always ask people to compare. Like, how did, you, how did they come across telling that story compared to when they were doing kind of like a rehearsed presentation? And everybody says, oh, they just come across so much better. It's like, what about their body language? Like, I didn't even pay attention. Like, I, I, did they um and ah a lot? Don't know, didn't pay attention. So what do you mean? Well, I was just listening to the story. And and then a lot of people go, ah, I see what you were doing there. <laughs> it's like, yes, yes. Now, here's where you and I have disagreed, or at least I've disagreed with you. I have heard you say many, 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 many times on the podcast that you believe, you don't, re you don't really believe in teaching story structure. That by and large, story structures are not necessary when someone has the right story and they know why they're telling it. Do I first do I pretty much have that right? So this has been this has been an evolution in the way I, I understand stories. And and you find that if you look deep into most of the stuff I do, that I'm it's not exactly what I believe in. Because if there is a structure that I talked about before on the podcast, which I refer to as um, before, but, so, and after, 
okay and that's that's a pretty basic i love that structure. by the way we should come back to that at some point okay. but i mean yeah. it, 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 it's it's what it sounds like you know before this is what your life was like but is the thing that happened the problem the cha- you know the, something happened because otherwise nothing happened there is no story so is what actions you've taken because of the thing that just happened and after is how is your life different after all of the stuff so before but so and after is a pretty simple story structure but what i found over the over the years is that some people really like that sort of prescriptive approach and give me the four boxes and what needs to go in each of these boxes and that's fine if you have a story because what i find for most people is that stories before they can be crafted and told they need to be found and and when i i've had clients go through this exercise where they have the story and now they're looking at my structure and they're trying to put stuff in there as like what goes in what box and i have found that part of the process to be less helpful whereas i say to people tell me what happened then let's figure out the point now we know the point let's make sure that there's enough contrast between what you know the lesson you're taking out of the story to whatever was happening in the beginning of the story now are there you know are you starting with a time and place can we visualize it do you have details do you have some dialogue okay if you got all those things are you starting as close to the end as possible you're done okay that is essentially it and you can do all of that without at any point saying okay well there's the before there's the but and the so and after because a good storyteller might actually start at the problem and then backtrack a little and give context. So I there is a structure. I I don't necessarily find that telling people go f- you know go follow the structure works f- in a lot of cases. Okay, I think you actually just found our disagreement uh for me and so let me let me explain. So every time I've ever heard you say that you don't re- that you think that when people have the story, basically they already they have the story and they know why they're telling it, that they can pretty much just go tell it and it pretty much works itself out. Uh, I I find this just incredibly untrue in my own life. And no, no, I no, sorry, sorry. Throw- I, I, I didn't I didn't say that they can just tell it and it works itself out. Okay. What I said is the first step is okay, you think there's a thing that happened that you're thinking of as a story. Tell me what that is. Once you tell me what that is and we know what sort of the, the story is, quote unquote, now we can start picking it apart and figuring out the okay. point and what needs to be there. What doesn't? I'm not saying they, they do it and it works out well. Okay. What I find is if you tell me, oh, this is, wh- how, this is a story of how I met Seth Godin. And I say, okay, here's a structure. Can you match it to the structure? I think you find it harder than if mm. you tell me and then we pick it apart. Hmm. Let, let me tell you where the structure okay. works really well. Please. The structure works really well in a business context if you are trying to frame a strategy or an initiative. You're trying to explain to your people why you've done something or you are going to do something. In that case, you say, okay, tell me what was happening before. Now tell me what's the obstacle that the company is now facing. Tell me what actions you're taking to to deal with this. And tell me how you expect life to be after you've done that. Or if this is already happening, you're explaining why something... That works perfectly. And people will go, okay, this is... I I know how to feel that from beginning to end. You can structure a presentation that way. You can structure an announcement that way. But if you just have this story about, 
you know, when you, I don't know, the first time you took your kid to the park and you were trying to do something and it wasn't really working and then a friend of yours tell, told you, you know, I think you you need to you're raising the child in your head and not the child in your arms. Mm. I think you really struggle to to use story structure to turn that into mm. a better story. I think it would just get in the way. Um, mm. So that's that's my that's my my point. I think for smaller okay. stories, the structure I think is more likely to get in the way than not. That's interesting. Okay, so I I can see that because literally what I was thinking is. One of the biggest problems my clients have, like I've said, and you, and I think the point here is that you and I mostly work with the opposite kind of clients. I think that's actually the reason for this disagreement. Uh, a lot of times when I ask them to tell me their story, that's going to lead to that's leading to the idea in the TEDx talk. They talk for 25 minutes because they're telling me their story and and I need to go, OK, how are we going to tell that 90 seconds in a way that provides the hook and the context and establishes you as the person who uh, is worth listening to in this talk and gets us into the talk and then out again in 10 minutes later, right? So in how do we get that 22-minute ramble into 90 seconds? Often, the first place I start is, okay, everything you just told me, now I'm going to show you a couple of different possible story structures. We're going to pick one that seems best, and we're going to first cut everything out of it that doesn't fit into this structure. And that'll get it to 90 seconds. And then we go, okay, now what needs to go back in to humanize it, to make it feel like a real thing and not just a structure, right? And so that's typically the approach. So I have a handful of different structures that I can propose that feel like they might help. What's interesting is what you're saying is the short stories that are already short, like an anecdote or, or a vignette, what I would call an anecdote or a vignette. Those I find all I have to tell somebody is there's three essential components to a story. Uh, and so you, you, you were telling four there, I think, the so is the one that doesn't need to be there in order to be, doesn't have to be there to be a story. There has to be before, transformation, and after. Yeah. And for me, I find a lot of the people I tell that to when they're trying to figure out, well, I have this cute little anecdote. How do I tell it in the talk in a way that makes sense and helps me get my point? I go, what's the before? What's the transformation? What's the after? If we can do that, if you can do that, then you can tell it in eight seconds, in 25 seconds and whatever. As long as we make sure those three components, it will register as a story for the audience. And that that's my point is it needs to register as a story. So I think that might be where you and I are disagreeing. Yeah, I think the way the way I think of it is this, right? Structures are more useful to tell you what needs to be there and what might you might be missing or, or what you have that is that is unnecessary. Then this is then actually be uh, the way to sequence a story. So if yes, you look at the, yes, agreed. Yeah, if you agreed. look at the hero's journey, you can go okay. Yeah. You know the ordinary world. Yeah, that's the before. That's that's what life was like. That's very useful. Yep. You know, there's a mentor that's useful. There is the you know the the call to adventure. All of that stuff is useful. But if you get something that really happened in your life, and then you look at the twelve. Or 14 steps. 17. The, the 17 original steps. was 17. 17. <laughs> and you try to match it, it becomes a nightmare. It's like, I, I yeah. just don't, I, this doesn't work. But you say, okay, well, 100%. does your story have a call to adventure? Oh, yeah, there was this, when my boss said this, that's that's it, right? Yes. And, and I'm so with you on the sequencing. Often what I do is after somebody I'm working with has had the light bulb moment where I show them like a modern streamlined version of the hero's journey that's got six or eight steps, you know, 
I'll show them that and they'll and they'll because we take it for granted that we know that stuff. We kind of laugh and joke about the hero's well, journey. Well, clearly I don't because I, <laughs> I got when, the steps wrong. Right. But no, but but you know what I mean? Like we know the gist yes. of it. We're, we're used yes. to it. And and I think we take for granted when you introduce that to someone who's not in this world. It's a it's an absolute mind blowing light bulb moment for them where they yeah. can suddenly see how this stuff is is work. Uh, it, it works. It's the pulling back the curtain. But often after I show them how the, the the story structure works of, say, the hero's journey, after that, then we go, but I have to tell them, but you're probably not going to start at step one and tell the story in order. That doesn't make any sense. It's not dramatic. We're probably going to start somewhere at the halfway point. Then we may back up and do this, or we may start at the very end and then go back to the beginning and say, how did we get there? There's lots of different ways to do it. So I'm totally with you. That structure doesn't help us actually write the story in sequence but i think it helps a lot of people see what's got to be there somewhere let, let me try something here this might fall flat but the structure is more useful as a shopping list for groceries than an actual step-by-step -step recipe totally i, I totally totally but let me that's, let me, let me throw great. something at you that i think is more useful and it doesn't need to actually be in every story but that's the way i structure most of my stories and i think it's a it's a different way of approach what needs to be in the story is i think that the best stories circle around a moment in time whereas you know something happening in real time that is typically what the story is about so when you tell a story to your friends is about something that happened in real time. It's like I went to do, I got on the bus and the driver looked at me and said, so that is a moment in time. It has dialogue, it has description, sensory, uh, sensory details. Now, whatever story you want to tell, it probably had one moment in time that was the most important one. That was probably just before something changed or when you realized what that change meant. That is the pillar of your story then tell us as little as possible to get to that moment in time and tell us what we need to know after. And that, that's how I can, most of my stories on social media end up being a minute and a half to two minutes long because I have the moment and I was like, what are the two lines or three that I can tell you that, tell you, that tells you who am I as a person and why is this thing important? If I've covered that, you just need the action. And then I need to tell you what happened after. That's it. I'm. I love this, and I'm so glad that you just said the the least amount necessary to get to the moment, and you didn't start with the moment itself because the number one mistake I'm gonna I'm gonna say this is I feel like I'm always saying something's the number one mistake, but I really think this is the number one mistake in storytelling that I see when people don't have the kind of the practice and the structure. They're really good at the transformation, the big moment, the pow. Everybody knows how to tell that because it's the memorable part, and most people remember to tell the after like and here's what's different now here's how much better things are the number one mistake i see so many people forget the before which is the context and without the context the transformation doesn't mean anything the after has no contrast right and so but when people start to tell the before they spend way too long getting up to the main point so you need this is what stand-up comedians have mastered the least amount of words necessary to make the punchline work, right? That's the context. That's the before. 
the fewest amount of words you need to give the audience everything they need to know before the punchline or before the transformation in the in the context of the story. Yeah, because the the the, the before needs to have one of the, the the most important elements in a story. So when I when I talk to people about the elements of a story, I say that a good story has a, a relatable character with a problem they care about, and it's told with with specific details in a moment in time. That second bit, the the um, the problem that ca- the character cares about, is essential because if you don't have that, it's like okay, I'm trying to run a marathon and and I'm failing. I can't finish this marathon and I'm really bummed out because I can't f- finish the marathon. And I'm thinking, why does that matter? Like, fine, you can't finish a marathon. Boo hoo! Other people have real problems in life, right? I don't care about your story. It's not. It's not a good story because it's right. just like, oh, it would be. I trained a lot and I. I want to finish. Sure, but why does it matter to you? Well, maybe it matters to you because you actually have had long COVID and you've spent the most of the last six months in bed and you thought you'd never be able to to do all the sport that you used to do before. And this is this is your chance to prove to yourself that you are whole again. Fine. Now I care. But if you don't tell me that, and you don't need to tell me that in in in, I mean, I just said that in a, in, a, in a sentence, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and 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 that's all people do. Like I've I've done this before as an exercise where I'm I'm sharing something about like I'm go I'm I'm a kid and I'm going out to to the I'm on the the beach side and I'm with my friends and I'm going out with them and then I get like a a, a mint like a breath mint um, and then my my aunt says oh somebody thinks they'll get a kiss tonight and and I think and and I and I think to myself um, I mean I I would love that but. Let's be honest, it's not going to happen. And you know what type of kid I am and what type of problems I have yeah. just by that little bit, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but you need to do that. If you don't do that in the before, then then it's just like, I don't get why this is important. And and then yeah. and then the story just lacks lacks emotional punch and it might lack connection. Like why, why yeah. people listening to you need to connect to the problem. They're not going to connect to the solution. They're going to connect with the problem and with you as a person, so... So there you go. Wonderful. I'm glad we we said this wasn't a storytelling podcast because we just spent 20 minutes <laughs> going into the weeds. <laughs> well, uh, we've we've gotten into the weeds and we're going to pull back out and go real meta now because I'm going to ask you to actually tell me a story. So the 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 whole hook of the show, the conceit of the show is uh, I, I like to hear everybody give me a story of a chance encounter in their life with lasting impact, something that happened a moment in time, whether you stayed in touch with this person or not. Uh, do you have a story like that for us? I I do, I do. <laughs> well, the floor is yours, my friend. All right. So when I was uh, I was about nineteen or so, I I had my first big uh, breakup. So this was the girl, my first ever girlfriend, the love of my life, or, or so I thought, and and I took it real hard. <laughs> I wasn't. I didn't manage that well, um, and I was in that really awkward position where you. You don't want to see the person because you know it's just going to make you feel worse. But at the same time, I really wanted to see her. And this was luckily before social media. So I couldn't, you know, stalk her online or anything. But what what it did do is that whenever, because we lived in the same town. So whenever I went out somewhere, I was always wondering if I was going to see her. And part of me wanted to see her, part of me didn't. And it got so bad that one day we... 
I was uh, driving past a new nightclub, and and I thought, oh, this is the this is the place I heard about. I'm I'm sure she's gonna check this place out one of these days. And I'm looking at the the queue of people waiting to get in, and and I'm and I think I see her, and then I'm craning my neck, and then while I'm doing that, the the light goes red, and I slam right into the car that stopped right right in front oh of me and, and and i realize i have a problem i need i like i need closure here i need i need to do something about this but i hadn't i mean i had no idea what to do i mean i, I didn't have a job at the time people don't just up and move in brazil particularly not when you're 18 or 19 and so i, I just didn't do anything and and then not long after my my father who's an architect came to me and said um, son, I've been invited for a post-PhD in Barcelona, and I'm going to spend a whole year there. And I think you would benefit a lot from, from coming with me. Um, so, you know, I would like you to come. And, and I said, um, yeah, no, that, that sounds fantastic. I, I, I wanted to get away. A continent seems far enough <laughs> for, for my needs. Um, so I was really up for that. And, and I waited for it. He didn't know exactly the date it was going to happen, so I waited. And then I waited some more, and then I waited some more, and then it, it looked pretty obvious that it wasn't happening or it wasn't happening anytime soon. So I decided to make it happen, and I started, I got a job as an English teacher, and I took all the shifts I could, and I saved every bit of money I earned. I started fasting throughout the day so I didn't have to spend money on food outside the house, and when my friends called me up for a drink, I said, sure, you pick me up. You pay for my beer and you bring me back home. And to their credit, <laughs> they did often. Um, and for two years, I, that's what I did. I saved money and, I, and I, I, I thought to myself, I'm going to go to London because I think I can get a job there and, and earn money in a real currency first. And just before, like I had the, the, the plane tickets bought and everything. And just before the Brazilian currency completely collapsed and all the money that I had saved throughout that time went from being worth maybe about 10,000 bucks to two, give or take, right? Um, but it's like, I don't care, I'm going. So, so I, I get, go to London and I, I arrived on a Sunday and I, I get out of the, so I get the train from the airport and that's about 10 pounds. I'm very aware of prices at that time. <laughs> so I get out in Camden Town, which is a bit of a madhouse, and I'm really excited. And then I get to the hostel and I pay for a week's stay. That's another 150 pounds. Uh, <laughs> and for anyone not familiar with the, the English currency, it's about twice as much as the dollar normally. So mm. so then I, I, there was only one person in London that I kind of knew. It was a girl who was my father's student and I had met her once. So I leave the hostel, I go to to a car phone warehouse or whatever the shop was, and I buy a disposable phone for about 30 pounds, and I put it together, and on the Sunday, I call her, and she says, oh, yeah, sure, definitely love to see you. I'm, I'm with a, at a bar with some friends tonight if you fancy coming over. So, so I did. I got the bus wrong three times on my way there. Each time cost me about four pounds. And as I'm getting <laughs> to this bar, I'm, I'm realizing that, like, I've been here for six hours, and I've already spent about... 20% of all the money that I've brought is gone. And, and I know you've talked about how you felt when COVID hit and for 36 hours, your whole livelihood that you've built over oh years God. just vanished up in smoke. And, yeah. and that happened to me. Like, I remember when I got the third bus, I started adding up the costs and I'm like, like I'm screwed. I'm going to have to go back home in about a week if I don't, if I don't do something. So, so I, I went to the bar and I met this girl 
um, Camila, and she had a couple of friends from my hometown there, Gabriel and Mariana, and we talked a little bit, and, and Gabriel kind of said, oh, you know, there's this place that I used to get a lot of gigs from, like, you know, wait, uh, being uh, silver service and waitressing gigs, that type of stuff. Um, so, you know, you might want to give that a go. Uh, so the first thing next morning I do is I go to I go to the to a, a place to buy a suit, but because I'm I have no money, I go to a place that sells like costumes for 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 costume parties, and I buy like the crappiest version of a suit they have. I I apply to these jobs and I get a gig for two days later doing silver service at a at a hotel at a Novo Hotel in Hammersmith in London, and wow. it's awful. I mean I have I'm wearing a stupid uniform. I'm doing silver service, which is not particularly exciting. Uh, and the whole thing, they only paid like four pounds an hour. It was kind of half illegal mm. as it was. And and I'm getting to the end of the shift, like, like oh, this is awful. Like, I'm not I'm not sure this is the solution. And then they send me to get some fresh cutlery. And I'm I'm in deep in the bowels of the hotel. And then who I see but this guy Gabriel coming over carrying a big keg of beer. I'm like, what are you doing here? I thought you didn't do this anymore. It's like, oh yeah, this was the last one I had on my schedule. I just thought, you know, make make a few quid anyway. Um, and and how about you? Are you are you still in that hostel? And I said, yeah, I mean, I'm still in the hostel. I still paid for a few more days. And it says, oh, because we we just had a big fight in our flat share. We kicked two people out. And if you're interested, I think you should come over because we might have a place for you. Uh, and three days later, I went to this. I went to this flat share. And and I ended up moving in with them. And that was basically where everything happened for me going forward. You know, at least two of the people that became my best friends in my life, I met in that flat share. The guy who said to me once, I think you would be good in sales. You should try this job, which is the first job that got me into sales, that got me into pretty much everything else I've done. I met in that flat share. Um, and every other job that I got for the first six, seven, eight months that I, I was in London, I got either through the people that were there or through the stuff they told me that I should be doing with my time. So, so there you go. That, uh, in that, that meeting in the, in, inside, um, uh, not particularly good hotel in <laughs> London was yeah, the yeah. one where I built, you know, now it's been, now it's been. 19 years abroad wow. and i'm pretty certain that if i hadn't met him that day i would have been back in i would have been back in brazil in maybe a month or two and my life would look completely different wow it <laughs> no matter how many times i've asked somebody to tell me a story like this i'm just every time i'm blown away again by how tenuous the track of our lives are uh, the path that we take that seems so obvious uh, could have just been so different. What would you have been doing if that if you had never met? Uh, was it Gab Gabrielle? Gabrielle? Yeah, I I'm not sure because because I I did the type of like you know bar work that doesn't typically get you anywhere for 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 a long time that I was there. And when I was getting fed up and had absolutely no idea what to do is when when someone asked me, oh, maybe you should try this type of job. I think if I never met him, I would have maybe lasted a bit longer in the UK. I don't know if I would have felt um, at home enough because those are my friends. I mean, those people became my family and I would yeah. have probably felt a bit, I would have made some friends. I'm not sure if I would have made good friends. 
I wouldn't be surprised if a few months in, I just decided that it was, you know, I had done what I was trying to do. I had moved away. I had tried it for a bit and I, I, I would just, just have gone back. I, I don't know. I at the time I had, mm -hmm. I had stopped the university. I was studying, um, literature in Brazil, but I had already resigned myself to never earning any money and never doing anything that was particularly exciting. Um, and I was just studying something that I thought I enjoyed, but I don't know, be a teacher, teaching literature and English back home. Who knows? It's so interesting, though, because I I did not realize that you were studying literature uh, in in school. So it's isn't it wild when you realize the full circleness of that? That now you make a living teaching and coaching and speaking about story. Well, th there is there is one bit of that full circle that I've left out that perhaps I should add in. I. I was in London for quite a while, and after I had been in London for maybe three years, two or three years, my, the, the girl that dumped me to begin with moved to Barcelona to study architecture, and it happened that around the same time we were both single, we got to talking again, and uh, lo and behold, um, yesterday we had our 16th anniversary. <laughs> so oh had I not God. been in Europe at the time, she would have probably, I know she had met someone else just before we got to talking again. So maybe oh I would God. never have closed that circle if, uh, if I hadn't been in Europe at the time that she went. Wow. That's mm. nuts. <laughs> That's <laughs> insane. Um, Amazing. Amazing. I, I, I would ask you uh, if you believe in luck, but it's hard to imagine you don't after telling that story. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember if we talked about this. I've heard you talk about this before. Yeah. I think that once you spend as much time looking at the stuff that happened in your own life and trying to put the pieces together, you realize how tenuous those connections are. And I think if you're the person who still wants to believe that everything is out of your own merit, I think you're not looking hard enough. <laughs> the, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that in, in reality, that when we tell those success stories, when we crap, when to your, to our earlier point, we tend to invent a hero's journey in retrospect for ourselves, right? Where everything we did was our own decision and, and we, and, but, but the intervention of luck is, is, fascinating and I, I i do wish more storytellers would acknowledge that especially when they're telling their own stories especially the people at the tops of industries when they tell their stories of success would would acknowledge that more often i think it I, makes, I, I also yeah. think that i also think that once you're if you're honest with with the storytelling you're doing or the or the self-reflection you're doing to tell good stories almost the opposite happens whereas Instead of you trying to impose a narrative on random things from your life to try and make you look a certain way, you realize a narrative that you never knew was there. Mm. Uh, and that was 100% yeah. my case. You know, the, 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 the origin story that I, like, I never share it in full, but when I worked it out, I realized that there was a, an ongoing thread of me on the one hand, doing things that had to do with story and speaking and things of that nature and, and liking that a lot, but always but always having been concerned about money and about supporting myself or supporting my family as the reason why I didn't do the things that perhaps I thought I needed to be doing. And I managed to trace a lot of that back to 
my childhood and not having that much money, but going to a fancy private school with a scholarship. And I had never thought about those things. And when I started pulling it together, I was like, why did I do that? What was the reasoning for that? And I was like, huh, this, maybe this is why I felt like I didn't fit in because I didn't. You know, it was, you know. And then you find a thread that is honest and it's not just, oh, it makes for a good story. You actually learn a ton about yourself that you wouldn't have learned had you not done that work honestly. If you just kept trying to see, I was so great. I, I've been doing this since I was a kid. That's, that's amazing. Uh, let's, I have the final question to ask you here before we do that. Where, apart from your podcast, which will obviously, Story Powers will be linked in the, in the show notes. Where else would you like people to find you, connect with you? The best place is LinkedIn. I'm I'm very present there. I put out you, stuff. You are a, very present there. On a, <laughs> I'm more than more than some, uh, more than most, but less than some. Uh, Don't yeah, you so have I'm, anything else to do with your time? No. I <laughs> yes, I I am always there. I'm, I'm I tried every single week to tell at least one story, uh, and sometimes it's in video, sometimes in text, and I I tend to connect with everyone that that wants to connect with me. So that is the best place for for, for sure. And, and I can v- vouch for that for anybody. Connect with Francisco on, on LinkedIn. You really do a magnificent job of telling stories, interesting stories with points on a regular basis. It's, it's really fun to see somebody who talks about it actually doing it publicly uh, on a regular basis and not just behind the scenes, which is kind of, you know, my, my thing. Um, I just kind of quietly, you've been mad at me in the past for, for, uh, my lack of social media presence. Uh, and it's it's very admirable. I don't know how you find the time to have that quality every week in your storytelling on on social. So um well the, the, cool. there's a very quick and there's a very simple answer to that. The the I'm not gonna speak to the quality, but the volume. It's because I because I every single day I try to write down if I had to tell a story about something that happened today or something I remember today, what would that story be? And an idea for a story goes down. And it's rare that there isn't a day where there's one or two things. I mean, I write one every single day. have been doing now, that now for 300 days, more or less. So I was like, yesterday, I was like, I have to post something. And then I had had that client call that we were talking about before we started recording. Um, and I thought, oh, this is a pretty interesting one. You know, uh, the client called me that I thought I had lost forever. And actually, they still love me and want to do something with me. I'm sure other people resonate with this. So... I write stuff down all the time. And then when I have one day, I pick an hour of my time or two hours and write four or five of these stories. And then they, I'm done for the next two or three weeks. The rest is clips from the podcast and stuff like that. So the sure. heavy lifting happens that way. Well, I typically end by asking people for, for one piece of advice for young professionals. Most of my audience is young professionals, 22 to 35. And, 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 and not just, I, I've been looking at my analytics lately, which I almost never do. There's actually a good majority of people who are in their 50s and 60s who listen to this show that are, I think, looking for a change maybe in their life or the next stage of their career. So similar mindset, different stage of life. Um, I usually ask to leave us with one piece of advice for those kind of people, but this sounds like as good advice as any. Is that what you would tell people? Find a story every day and I, write it down? I, I don't because I think it's a big ask for a lot of people. I think that if I have time to explain, which, which I don't know, then you can sell people on the benefits of this. But I think to most people, my advice is something connected to what I said earlier about how storytelling at its most basic is just giving the example first and following up with information. What I would challenge people to do is 
Every time you have to do a presentation, every time you have to put a post on social media, anytime you're trying to communicate in a way that that connects with other people, that is memorable, that that inspires people, look for a real life example. Like you know what you want to say, but look for a real life example from your life or someone else's life and start with that. Like all the other stuff you're going to say, just put it right after. Okay? But start with that real life example because if you don't have a real life example, I'm questioning how much you know about that subject and how much you 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 connect with that personally. And if you have it, just put that down because people will, will identify themselves with that and you'll find that your communication will very quickly start becoming significantly more powerful. Simon Sinek says, start with why. And Francisco Mafuz says, start with story. There you go. Maybe I should. Uh, Fantastic. Maybe, maybe I should copyright that. And, uh, and, and, and I, I, I copyrighted that yesterday, actually. Oh, I, uh... damn it. Well, I, I, I think I have copyrighted me saying to people that I'm just like Simon Sinek if he had uh, more hair, a funny accent, and uh, a lot less money. Fantastic. Francisco, uh, an absolute joy, as always. Thank you so much for spending another hour talking to me. <laughs> My pleasure, man. I'm, I have a feeling this won't be the last one. <laughs> no. 